Thanks for listening to the Grace First podcast. If you want to know more about us, head on over to gracefirst.church. Or if you're in the Wichita area, come visit us Sundays at 1015. Good morning, church. It's great to be here this morning and worshiping with you. It's uh, one of the moments that I really look forward to during the week is actually getting together with the family of God and get to worship together. And so uh, this is a, a wonderful privilege for me. Uh, and I pray that it is uh, the same for you. Now, when you hire somebody to work for you, you as a beneficiary want to make sure that they have a clear understanding what is expected of them. You know, I remember when April and I, uh, we had our, our first daughter, and she was little over a year old. We hired our first babysitter from our church. She was a sweet teenage girl uh, who had a lot of babysitting experience, and our expectation was made very clear to her. And our expectation was pretty low, believe it or not. When the sitter came over, as Annabelle was kicking and screaming in her high chair, it was like trying to talk to her under a helicopter. And we said, we're going out to dinner, and all you have to do is keep that baby safe and alive for about two hours. That's it. Two hours is it. And once we come back, we will reward you handsomely. Our expectation was made very clear. With that... We stepped outside, closed the door on the babysitter with a crying baby kicking in her high chair. Now, when we came home from that dinner date, we were very surprised. We saw that the baby was sound asleep. It was a quiet house. The dirty dishes in the kitchen were cleaned up, and all the toys in the living room were picked up. And our sitter proactively accomplished way more than what was expected of her. And we were the beneficiaries of her work. Needless to say, we paid her well and we recommended her to others. And there are clear expectations that come with certain roles. If you're a babysitter, you are expected to keep that baby safe and sound. If you're a teacher, you're expected to know your subject well and teach that subject to your students. But there are other roles where the job is not as clear. Let me give you a couple examples. Roles such as Senior Associate Manager of Content Development, Thought Leader and Change Maker. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear these roles? Well, these are real jobs held by real people who I'm sure are very smart and very hardworking. But it makes you ask the question, well, what exactly do they do? Well, there's one more job that I want, to, I want you to add to that list, and that is a pastor. What exactly is a pastor? And why do we even have pastors? We have very godly and qualified elders here in this church. And we have people that were retired from the ministry, many of them here in this church. And so why do we need pastors? This morning, as the final sermon of our mini-preaching series on Vision for Grace First, we're going to look at the role of a pastor and just to recap, in the series so far, we studied the text from Philemon, and we saw that the identity of a church is that we are a family of God. And one of the things that this family does, as we saw in the Great Commission from Matthew 28, is that we are given a heritage and a tradition that has been passed down from the churches since the time of the apostles, and that is the Great Commission. We are to make disciples of Christ. Well, this morning... We're going to see a role of a person that leads this family of God. 
In a way, I'm going to be giving you my job description from the Bible. And if you have ever wondered, well, pastor, what exactly would you say you do around here? Well, we're going to answer that question, not from my opinion, not from the popular opinion of the culture, but from the Bible. We're going to see from Colossians 1 that a pastor is a man called by God who preaches the word of God to prepare a people of God. In this passage, we're going to see a pastor's call, his task, and his purpose. The call, the task, and the purpose. So if you're not already there, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Now this letter was written to the church in Colossae by the Apostle Paul. Do you remember one of the leaders of this church that we looked at a couple of weeks ago? Philemon, right? Philemon was one of the leaders. And this letter is to the church in Colossae, written around the same time that was written to Philemon, actually. And it was written during a time when the worldly philosophies was heavily influenced in the culture. The Greek philosophies uh, was a big influence even in the church. Paul's central theme of this letter is that Christ is supreme and that they were not to deviate uh, from that teaching into the false teachings of the worldly philosophies, but to keep Christ at the center of their lives. Now, as Paul is sharing this reminder, he also reminded them of his role as one of the leaders of the church. Paul was the man who brought the gospel to them, and he was the one who helped them establish the church. And so through his role, we're going to see the role of a pastor, one who is called by God to be a leader of the local church. So let's look at Colossians 1, starting in verse 24. Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. This is the verse that sets the stage for Paul's explanation uh, for this role. At a glance, this is somewhat a confusing statement. What does he mean that something's lacking in Christ's affliction or suffering? And what does he mean by filling up in his flesh what is lacking from Christ's suffering? Well, we know that the death Jesus suffered was a penalty paid for the sin of sinners. And the atonement that is provided by Jesus, that is applied by the Holy Spirit in faith, is made complete. In other words, there is nothing else that needs to be paid for our sin because Christ has completed that work. Your sin in its entirety, the sin of your past, present, and your future has been nailed to the cross in Christ, and it has been paid by his blood. That's the gospel. That's the good news. By faith alone, in Christ alone, You are forgiven, and you are his forever. Amen? But we are not, in this life, complete. Even when we come to Christ by true saving faith, we still have the rest of our lives until we die to sin. And so this status of sinners who are saved in Christ, who are justified in Christ, who are still sinners, is what uh, Martin Luther and the Reformers called in the status uh, in Latin, he called it simul, uh, simul justus et peccator. Okay, now stay with me. As Christians in this life, we are simul, simultaneously justus, justified. We are simultaneously justified and sinner. 
This is the status of sinners saved in Christ here in this life. In Christ, God has declared you righteous on account of Jesus' obedience, and you are justified in the sight of God. But we are not as holy as we can be. We still have room to mature in our spiritual growth, don't we? See, this explains why we as believers still sin in this life, even though the Spirit of God lives in us. So those who are in Christ are made holy or are sanctified because of the Spirit that dwells in us. So in our lifetime as believers, the Spirit of God is going to do a work of making us holier as we live. So what did Paul mean when he said that he is filling up in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction? Well, what Paul meant was this. Paul's role is now, it is now his turn to step up to bat for Christ, using a baseball analogy. According to this verse, he is the next batter up to labor in his flesh, to make the church in Colossae more spiritually mature. The NASB translates this as, I do my share on behalf of his body. And I think this is the more helpful translation in my view. Think of it this way. When I received the call to pastor here at Grace, one of the first things we did was buy a house. But the house needed a lot of work. And one of the blessings we experienced here was a lineup of servants, who godly servants from here who came to help us. And as I saw that list of volunteers that week, it was an illustration of this verse. You see, I purchased a house as Christ purchased his people. And that house is paid for, and it is mine, as Christ has paid for the church by his blood, and we are his. But the house needs a lot of work, just as sinners need a lot of work in our spiritual maturity. So the Lord sent us a lineup of servants from grace, as he also has appointed a lineup of servants called pastors who will shepherd his church. Now, before I get ahead of myself, you may be wondering, well, but the passage doesn't say anything about pastors. So how does this apply to pastors? Well, you see, the Apostle Paul is not the only batter in the church. See, the instruction that he gave was to appoint elders to be the next batter up for the local churches. In Titus 1.5, we read, you don't have to turn, just listen, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now the terms elders, overseers, pastors, and shepherds, these are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. And let me show you some. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, we read, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds or pastors of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. In Acts 20, 28, we also read, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders. Be shepherds or pastors of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You see, the role of an elder in the church is to pastor or shepherd. And in the New Testament, a pastor is an elder. 
We read earlier the qualification of an elder from 1 Timothy 3. An elder is to be a man who is qualified first and foremost in his character, who is able to teach in his church, and is also reputable in the community. As a father of a household is to carry the burdens of, his, uh, burdens of the family through his leadership, likewise elders are the fathers of a local church family who carry the burdens of, a, uh, of leading the church through their leadership. After Paul's ministry, there will be other batters or other elders and pastors who will carry the torch of the gospel. And we as a church, we are the beneficiaries of the ministry. But what kind of a person can possibly fill the shoes of the Apostle Paul? Who can possibly share in the work that was started by Jesus and the Apostles? Well, let's see who. Join me in the first part of verse 25. Colossians 1.25 says, I have become its servants by uh, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me. Here we see the call to the ministry. This is the first point in your outline, if you'd like to follow along. A pastor is a man called by God. The word here is used to describe Paul's call, and in most translation, the word here is commission or stewardship in your Bibles. The original word used here is the word oikonomia. Okay, it's where we get our English word economy. The word oikos means household or family or home. Those of you who really like Greek yogurt, you may get the oikos brand. Okay? It means home or, or family. Okay? And the word namas means law. And so you put that together, you have oikonomia or economy. And it's the idea that God is the one who carries out in his plans to appoint his servants to preach the word. What Paul was referring to here is that it is God in his infinitely wise plan or in his economy who called Paul to be a minister of the gospel. Paul's appointment to be a servant of the gospel is not from man, but it is from God. God is the one who sets up the batting lineup for his pastors. And pastors appointed, his appointment is confirmed by the body of Christ or the local church. Even the apostle Paul, he was confirmed by the church in Antioch. When the news about the church growth in Antioch reached the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to Antioch to encourage them. Then this is what we read in Acts chapter eleven twenty-five. Listen to this. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now later in Acts 13.2, we read, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. God calls and he equips his servants for the ministry of the word. And it is the local church that affirms that call. Charles Spurgeon known as Prince of Preachers, one of my favorite preachers. He recorded in his books, uh, one of my favorite books there, uh, called Lectures to My Students. And this is what Charles Spurgeon said about those who are going into ministry. He says, if you can do anything else, do it. 
If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. If any student in his room could be content to be a newspaper editor or a grocer or a farmer or a doctor or a lawyer or a senator or a king, in the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way. I would say that the only man who is called to preach is the man who cannot do anything else in the sense that he is not satisfied with anything else. This call to preach is so put upon him and such pressure comes to bear upon him that he says, I can do nothing else. I must preach. The prospective grocer should, uh, preacher, not grocer, the prospective preacher should feel a fire in his bones, a holy compulsion to spend and be spent for the glory of God and good of his church. In 2015, uh, I was given some opportunities to enter into the full-time vocational ministry. But along with these offers came a couple of the offers that I had been pursuing for almost a year. And these were very exciting uh, and, and very, uh, I guess in terms, cool jobs that I was excited about. But as I reflected on my life and the priorities of my life, what I thought to be the most important mission to accomplish was to proclaim Christ. Even in the secular job offers, the most exciting aspects of that job was that I was able to share Christ with those in those fields. If sharing Christ is the most important priority in my life, then I would be a fool not to accept the offer from a church in Virginia under the tutelage of a man I greatly respected. Now, I don't know why the Lord plucked me out of South Korea and made me an American citizen, and I don't know why the Lord chose me in his economy to shed his blood for me and save me from the pit of hell against the wrath of God for my sin, which is a destiny that I deserve. But I do know this, that the gospel of Christ, that he came to sinners from the wrath of God against sin, and that he shed his blood for those who trust in him, that gospel is the most important message that we need to hear in this life. And the decision to come to Him, to commit our lives to Him, and submit to His loving and caring authority is the most important decision a person can make in his life. As the Lord has called me, and you, Grace First, has confirmed me, it's time to bat for the body of Christ. So what's the primary task of a pastor? Well, join me in verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission, of, commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. The task of a pastor is to present to you the Word of God. The task is to present to you the Word of God. This is the second point in your outline. The primary task of a pastor is the preaching of the Word. And what is this mystery that he's talking about that was hidden for ages and generations? Well, it's given to us in Ephesians 1.9. It is also in one of the songs, first songs we sing. And listen to this. Uh, turn with me, actually, to Ephesians 1.9. I want us to see this together. 
Just go left a few pages. Ephesians 1.9. In 1.9 it says this. It says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ. I'm going to jump to verse 11. Ephesians 1.11 says, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. His plan has been revealed to us now in Christ. Before time even began, God had a plan to create a people in His image who were going to rebel against Him in sin. But in His love, He had a plan to redeem a people for Himself through the atonement provided by the Son of God. That whosoever turns from sin and believes in the Son, you are marked in Him with a seal that is a promise of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing your heavenly inheritance until the day of your final redemption to the praise of His glory. The preaching of the gospel is a proclamation of Christ. God's plan of salvation through Christ the Son is a mystery which has now been revealed, that has been revealed to us in the New Testament. The Old Testament is Christ concealed, and the New Testament is Christ revealed. God has revealed himself through the person of Jesus. And we now have his revealed word right here in the Bible. A professor in seminary once told me this. He said, the more you study one particular subject, the more you realize how little you actually know. And I found this to be true. The more I study the Bible, the more I realize how deep and how vast the wisdom of God actually is. The Bible is so deep and vast that you can spend a lifetime reading it and still never master it. And instead, we must be mastered by the Word, by its authority. Back in October, when April and I came to candidate here at this church, one of the things that we learned about this church was that you were a people who loved the Word of God. And after I learned what you loved here, uh, your hobbies, about the fellowships, the, the campfires, uh, all the different things that we learned. And as we learned that you love the Word of God, I remember telling Brandon this. I remember saying, Brandon, I think I found my people. You see, we are and we will be a people of the Word. Amen? Amen. And my desire is to bring you the whole counsel of God revealed to us here in this Word. Other tasks like counseling, visitations, officiating weddings and funerals, mentoring and leading, these are also all very important roles of a pastor. Other areas of ministry, such as ministering to the youth, to the children, giving emphasis to mission and fireside groups, these are things that we do not want to ignore. They're very important. And here at Grace, we thankfully have pastors and staff 
uh, who, who carry out these other very important aspects of ministry. But my primary task as your lead pastor is to labor and love you through the doctrinal teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And in order to do that well, it requires many intensive hours to study the Word and prepare a message that we need to hear together as a church family. Depending on the difficulty of the passage of Scripture, some sermons can take up to anywhere between 25 to 30 hours, most ranging somewhere between 20 to 25. And preparing a well-studied and well-crafted sermon is a labor of love. But it is a call to honor. And my burning desire is that we run this race well. Which means the elders and I, we need your prayers. And it also means that there may be times when I will have to know to certain invitations and certain uh, events in order to protect the time of preparing the word for us. And I humbly ask that you forgive me that if I can't join you and give me the benefit of the doubt. Now, don't get me wrong. You are my family, and I'm going to want to see you, and I'm going to want to spend a lot of time with you. And there may be even times where I will show up uninvited. But the call to preach the word must be taken seriously, and it will take the lion's share of my time to prepare the word for us. We are a people with a high view of Scripture, and so we will hold to a high view of preaching. And the primary task of a pastor is to preach the revealed Word of God. So then what's the point of spending all that time in sermon preparation? What's the purpose for spending so much time preparing a sermon? Well, the purpose is a great responsibility to me and the elders here, and it is given to us in verse 28. Look at verse 28 with me. Colossians 1.28, this is what it says. He is the one we proclaim, that is Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And here's the purpose. So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to notice the purpose of the preaching of the word and at the end of verse 28, and that is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. Some, some of your translations will state perfect or complete in Christ, and the meaning lies somewhere between perfect and mature. And I believe the NIV captured it right. That is fully mature. That is our completion in Christ. The purpose of a pastor's responsibility is the fully matured completion of every soul in Christ entrusted to the elders here at Grace First. You see, when the Word of God is preached, a transformation takes place through the hearing of the Word. Romans 10.17 tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And the Spirit of God who indwells us sanctifies us through our worship as we draw near to Christ and hear the Word preached. By hearing the Gospel together, We grow together in our understanding of who God is, who we are as sinners, and how we are to live as his people in this broken world. You see, since there is power in the word, in our gathering as believers, we must prioritize our weekly gatherings. That is why preaching is central to our worship service. 
We come to hear the word proclaimed. Yes, the singing of songs, prayers, uh, talking through our missionaries. These are very important part of our worship as well. But what is central is the preaching of the word, the very teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Being nourished through the preaching by pastors who shepherd you and love you is a primary means which God uses to sanctify us as a people. Preaching is a means God uses to make us more like Christ. The Word of God admonishes and teaches everyone with all wisdom so that they may be fully mature in Christ. That is why Paul took this responsibility so seriously and gave his life to it, as should all pastors who are called to fulfill this duty of the office. Paul says in verse 29 that he literally works as he agonizes for the purpose of presenting God's people. But there is a power that is working in him and all those who come to bat as pastors. That power is the power of the Holy Spirit. This power is emphasized in the original language in verse 29. The verse 29, it literally reads like this. Unto this purpose, I work agonizing according to his energy energizing in me in power. One way the authors of the Bible emphasized certain things was by doubling the words like this. It's a bit like the way my friends asked me when I was dating April. They would say this. They would say, so, do you like April? And I would say, yes, she is a sister in Christ. I like her. And they say, but do you like like her? And as one comedian would say, we went on a date date, and I spent money, money, so I like, like her. Okay? Well, the emphasis is the same in this verse. Okay? Energy energizing. Paul's emphasis is on the energy that is energizing him in great power to accomplish the purpose of preparing God's people to be spiritually mature through the preaching of the word. That same power that worked in Paul is the same power that is now working in your pastors called by God to prepare you. And the same power that is at work in me is the same power that is mightily working in you. It is the very Spirit of God who is working to prepare you in Christ so that you may be presentable before the King. So when you stand before the throne of God, you may be able to hear the words from Him well done, good and faithful servant. So how do we apply this text into our lives? What does this say about God? And what does it say about us? Well, what it says about God is that He is the one who has purchased His people through the Son. It is God who has provided everything necessary for our salvation. He is also the one who has given us His Spirit to make us more like Christ. When we are in Christ and we are walking in the Spirit, then Holy Spirit is in you. He will give you opportunities to conquer your sins. Yes, you have been purchased and you are secure in His presence forever. But like my house that needed a lot of work, we have a lot of work to do in becoming more like Jesus. God will give you opportunities to win your battles to work on your anger problems, to work on your pride issues, 
to work on your marriage if you do not love your spouse as you ought. Maybe it's trouble with pornography or substance abuse or difficulty obeying your parents if you're living under the roof of your parents. In all of these struggles, I want you to know this and be comforted by this, that if you are in Christ, that the Spirit of God is working in you. The very power that that rose Jesus from the grave, He is the power that is working in you. Confess your sins and turn from them. And keep turning to Christ and seek help in the body in this fellowship when necessary. You'll be met with love. And we we will want to walk alongside you and walk with you in your struggles as you prepare yourself to spiritual maturity in Christ. After I accepted the call to be a pastor here, several of you came to us and said, we are so glad that you accepted the call, and we are here to serve you during your transition. We want to serve you well. Well, when I heard that, my heart sank. And this is what I want you to know. I, as your pastor, I am your servant. And I am here to serve you, and you are the beneficiaries of my work. As I made my expectations clear to my first babysitter, the expectations of a pastor has been made clear to us through this morning's passage in Colossians 1. A pastor is a man called by God to preach the word of God to prepare a people of God. Christ secured the purchase of his people by his blood. He is the one who sets up the batting lineup for pastors and elders who carry out his work. A pastor is a man qualified and who is called by God. The calling to the pastorate is from God, and this call is confirmed by the local church. His primary task is to preach the word of God. Sound doctrinal preaching is a labor of love, but a means God uses to sanctify his people. Finally, the purpose of preaching is to prepare a people of God by the power of the Spirit We are transformed by the hearing of the word. A pastor is a man called by God to preach the word of God, to prepare a people of God. Let us give thanks to God who has purchased us and is doing a work in us as he prepares us by his word and his spirit to spend an eternity with him. Amen? Let's pray. O Lord, we declare that you are the sovereign king who before even time began, you chose us to love us through your son and by his wounds we have been forgiven as we turn to you in faith. We thank you that you have not left us alone but by your spirit you've called pastors to preach good news of Jesus and as faith comes by hearing the word We are also sanctified by your Spirit through the preaching of the Word. May your Word be boldly proclaimed here at Grace First. And may we love you more and more as we grow in our understanding of the revelation of yourself through the revealed Word. O Lord, prepare us to be a people who will love what is holy and hate what is evil. May we be a people who will trust in you to sanctify us as we also labor with you to grow in our holiness. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.